Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. We are continuing our series, Woven in Gospel, and today we're going to be talking about true food and to drink, and I'm going to have Kachina come up and share something, and then Denise will come up afterwards. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Thank you, ladies. As we've been going through this series, we are looking through the Gospel of John as how John is actually... I don't want to say interpreting, but commenting on a lot of the things that were there in the synoptic gospels. This morning, I'm going to talk about going to Six Flags with the Kids, Geometry, LP Albums, Bad Reception, C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, The Food Network. Okay. Sounds good. Some years ago... We wanted to surprise our kids and take them to Six Flags Magic Mountain. But we told them 
that I had to go pick up something up from a client. I was working for a wholesale wood company at the time. And so we were supposed to take them to school and said, oh, but first dad has to go pick something up. And so we made a detour and we're driving, you know, 10 minutes and like, where is this? Oh, it's just over this way. 20 minutes. We're not going to make it to school. And I'm like, what are we going to do all day? It's like, okay, we'll get you back to school, you know, 35, 40 minutes in. And they're like, knowing something's up, but they don't know what it is. And finally, we come over the hill and there we see Six Flags Magic Mountain. We drive up. And they're like, are we going to Magic Mountain? I said, no, my friend just works up here. We're just going to pick something up. And so sure enough, we were going there, and it was just to surprise them, you know, trying to make them think something else, but then surprising them so that they could really enjoy it. That's kind of one of the things I thought would be fun. I like doing that with my kids. I even do it with my grandkids. Uh, Judah loves dinosaurs, and so we bought this little box of dinosaurs, and he knew we had it, and so... I was went, well, if you go to the bathroom, I'll give you the box of dinosaurs. So he went to the bathroom, and while he was going to the bathroom, I switched it, and I put something else in there. And then he came out, and I opened it up, and he was like, what is this, you know? And I had the dinosaurs all sitting on the floor, and he got all excited. I just love doing those kinds of things. We're going to be in John chapter 6, so stay with us there. I'm going to read another portion of chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish But what are they for so many? It's interesting that feeding the multitudes is the only miracle that appears in all four of the Gospels. I think that's fascinating. Of all of them, why is this one? And in Matthew, Mark, and John, after the feeding comes the miracle of walking on the water. It's not in Luke. But this happens right after that. And Mark adds an intriguing thing, a footnote to the event when Jesus is walking on the water. And in Mark chapter 6, verses 51 and 52, he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Why would this commentary be made here when Jesus walks on the water and gets in the boat? It's because they didn't understand about the loaves. There is something happening in this event of feeding the multitudes that made it so that they were unable to understand why he was also walking on the water. And and there's something that they missed, a perception in that miracle because their hearts were hardened. I think that's fascinating because I never would have put those two things together, but Mark says this is because they missed something here. Now, think of their hearts being hardened as their minds being set in a certain mode of thinking so that what was being revealed or 
the sign, as John would say, could not penetrate their understanding. It was like a different language to them. I remember in the seventh grade when I took geometry for the first time, it was like a different language to me. The teacher, her name was Mrs. Gibson. I remember her. I won't go into why, but she might remember me too. But when she was putting these things on the board, it just made no sense to me. I'm seeing circles and I'm seeing lines and I'm just kind of ADHD and I'm just putting pictures and I'm not putting meaning to them. It just was like a different language. And hardened of heart is really that something is stuck in how we think that we're not able to perceive something else. They were set in this way. This inability to understand is exactly what John elaborates on through John chapter 6. They just don't get it. They're seeing one thing and he's meaning something else. As Jesus taught, the crowd became increasingly frustrated. Right As he's teaching them, after many of his disciples turned back and walked with him no longer, it says in verse 66... And John adds another feature to the story that Jesus tested Philip, right? After a quick calculation, Philip says, the multitudes, we don't have enough food. We can't do this. And Andrew says, yeah, we have this much, but what's that among these many? They're seeing things in one way and they're not understanding that Jesus is wanting to do something more. They just couldn't wrap their minds around that. And the whole chapter is really kind of one test after another, helping them to see where they are and where God is in what Jesus is doing. And Jesus used the impossibilities to stretch them in their faith. The whole point of John is the signs show us who Jesus is so that we can believe in him and in believing him we might have life in his name. Those are the four points. The signs point to the identity so that we can believe and then we can find life in his name. That's going on throughout the gospel of John. And I think there's times where Jesus tries to calm us down, right? By saying, you don't have to understand everything. Just need to trust me. And it's so hard sometimes to get past that. I need to understand and just have trust. I do this in dog training all the time where I'm walking a dog and I need that dog to trust me. They hear a dog going crazy behind a fence and they're like, oh no, there's a crazy dog over there. We got to run. And I'm like, hey, it's behind a fence. Don't worry about it. Don't you hear barking? It's This is what I imagine the dog saying, right? don't you hear it barking? It's going crazy. Run for your life. And I'm saying, no, just trust me. It's behind a fence. I've got this. And I think this is the language of faith, that when we are not in this mode of thinking, we're arguing with everything that we don't understand. We can't just trust. We're trying to figure out. Trust is what opens our minds to receive the revelation. Let's face it, we are never going to fully understand the things of God. There is going to always be that sense of mystery, right? The endless revealing. 
of the character, the nature, the goodness, the power of God. And the first indication that there's a serious problem we see in verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Right? They saw the miracle. They said, this is the guy. We want him for king. Why? Because he can make food happen. The crowd couldn't see Jesus for who he was. They saw what they wanted him to be for them. And I think we have this problem too. You see, it's different to see Jesus as someone we can identify with than it is to have Jesus become someone who looks like us. And have you noticed that we end up so many times with the Jesus that looks like us? He's on the same political venue as us, right? He has the same prejudices as us. He, he doesn't like the same people we don't like. All of a sudden, Jesus looks like us, and he's not going to help us if he looks like us. He is other than. And so what we need to do is not try and have a Jesus that is to our conformity, but who he is that conforms us to become more like him. And it's such a subtle thing. Every now and then we have to stop and say, does my Jesus really look that much like me? Because the odds are if Jesus looks a lot like you, something's a little skewed. I'm just telling you, you might be a great person. I'm not saying you're not. But if you think you look a lot like Jesus, there's probably something you're not seeing. And they wanted Jesus for these reasons. Pretty soon, they have a Jesus that's there for them to do what they want. He withdrew. They couldn't have him that way. And the next day, they they try to chase him down, and they're perplexed because in the story, the disciples get on the boat, and they head off. They withdrew, but he didn't go with them. He went up to the mountain to pray, and then walks on the water, they come back and they try to find him. They see him with the disciples and they're wondering, how did you get here in verse 25? And Jesus doesn't give them a direct answer. Instead of telling them how he got there, when he got there, he tells them why they came to find him. You see, he says, truly I say, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves in verse 26. So what did he mean? Because in verse 2 of John 6, they did see signs and come after him. So it wasn't that there weren't signs, but now something has changed. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs, was doing things, but now the purpose had changed. Now we're following him for a different reason. That's not why they came this time. Originally, yeah, it was because of the miraculous things he was doing. But now it was because he made them lunch. Now, they wanted to take what he had in his hand, but they didn't want to take his hand. They wanted what they could get, but they weren't willing to take what he really was offering. And understand that at this time, a person would bake bread for that day. 
And that's all that they would have. We're going to make this meal for this day. And a lot of people at this time would only have one meal a day. So Jesus provided a meal and it says that they ate their fill. So if we get this guy king, we've got it made. I don't have to work. He's just going to make us food. I mean, we had enough food for the day and he did it like it was nothing. So this is a big thing to them. It was the kind of thing that they wanted. It was the kind of king they wanted, a king who promised them a chicken in every pot, two cars in every garage, right? This was the king who would give them all the things that they desired. And Jesus tried to turn them in a different direction. We see in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Jesus told them there were two types of food. And now we can hear echoes from chapter 4 with Jesus' dialogue with the Samaritan woman, right? Jesus offered her living water. He offers the crowd living bread. Jesus promised her that drinking from this water that he offered, a person would never thirst. He tells the crowd that by eating his bread, a person will never hunger in verse 35. The Samaritan woman said, sir, give me this water. The crowd said, sir, give us this bread in verse 34. They wanted to know what sort of work did God want? What is the work of God? And Jesus had already given them a clue when he said, for on him, God, the father has set his seal. And now he tells them more explicitly, explicitly, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The work of God is this, believe on him who he has sent. And again, there is that belief. Here is that trust. Here is the point he is trying to make. It's not about the bread. It is about me and what I am here to do and can do for you. But it's not what you think. It's much, much more. I know some of you are young and you don't remember LP albums, right? They are coming back, though a lot of people still like that old vinyl. But every now and then there would be a print of an album where there would be a scratch that was just embedded in the reproduction. And every album would have that little glitch. I remember there was a Michael Amardian album called Adam Again, and it had a scratch on every album. I tried like three of them, and it's like, it drove me crazy. You'd be playing all of a sudden, you know, it'd just kind of hiccup, and you would miss the point. It would just detour you. And, and at this point, it's obvious that they had not made any progress with him. They're just stuck in that groove, right? Jesus says, I have bread to give you. And they say, well, we want a sign. Here's a sign Moses gave us. He made manna in the wilderness. They're back on bread. Come on. And I love it how when people want what they want, they'll start using scripture to get what they want. Right? Well, okay, we'll meet you there. Moses did this. How about it, Jesus? We're here again. Moses provided bread every day. Day two, where's the bread? 
You see, they're stuck in this place. They wanted more of the kind of food he just told them not to work for. This is their groove. This is where they keep skipping. This is where they keep falling back to that. And so what are we learning? That they wanted something from Jesus and Jesus wanted something from them. In fact, he wanted more than they were prepared to give. He wanted them to recognize who he was and put their faith, put their trust in him. They wanted to use him to benefit themselves. And he offered them life in God and they asked for more bread. I wonder how many times we ask God for things that we want to make our life easier. And God is wanting to make our life richer. Oh God, give me this. Oh God, please provide this. God, help with this. And God is wanting to give us life, but it doesn't look like bread. It doesn't look like the provision we want. It doesn't look as easy as the path we would take. And how we define life and how we get this idea of blessing, maybe it's skewed. Maybe we're wanting food that won't last. And he's wanting to give us bread that brings life. He offered them life in God. They asked for more bread. The signs were there to inspire faith. Faith for what? Faith to live lives that looked like people of the kingdom. Faith to live a life that was what Jesus was trying to introduce, a new kind of life. Not that was just seeking the things that would provide for them, but to seek first now the kingdom of heaven. They were consumers of only the material benefits. And we can become consumers. I mean, I, I, I always want to see myself not in the right, but in the crowd, right? Where I'm a consumer wanting, wanting blessing, wanting this, wanting things to be easier. It's just natural for us to want things to be easier and not always want what is best according to God's vision, according to God's heart. We see the sign without opening our eyes, without coming to a clearer vision of God, without coming to faith in Jesus. We want more but we're not willing to give more. And Jesus said in verse 36, I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. You see, but you don't quite get it. And again, I, I, I read this and I want to ask myself, do I see Jesus, but I don't quite believe? Do I see him, but I don't quite get it? Is there an area in my life where, yeah, I have all this faith in Jesus, but there's still a part where I just don't get it? I, I'm stuck? And this is what happened all the way through Jesus' ministry, even with his disciples, this constant missing the point. And what John is doing in his gospel is trying to help us solve this problem of missing the point. 
right? He's trying to open up our eyes, open this new horizon to us. But it will not do us any good unless we realize that we are those people in the crowd that are missing the point. If you think you've got it, you will fail to see it. They wanted to know what they would get for their belief. What food would he give them? And now he tells them he will give them his flesh to eat in verse 35. That's going to go over well. And that's when they begin to back away, right? It's the most difficult passage in the chapter. He says, I am the living bread come down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What would you think if you were there? What do you think now? I mean, now we look in hindsight. Oh, yes, we know he's talking spiritually. But I think there's more. They were turned off, right? For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Man, those are some weird words. It's hard to hear that and not cringe a little bit. It's like, you know, trying to talk to someone and you can't quite hear. There's this one place I work in Woodland Hills and the reception's terrible. The homes are million dollar homes, but their cell reception is terrible there. I don't get it. Come on, build a tower there, guys. And I'll be talking to my wife. I'll be sitting there, hello, hi. And it's just not coming through. These words just were not cutting through, especially in that Hebrew mind, right? They didn't understand about the bread and the loaves. What didn't they understand? Jesus gives us insight into this mystery. To walk with Jesus, we have to trust him. To have life in Jesus, we have to consume him. But you see, Leviticus tells us we're not to drink the blood. Their their whole tradition was you don't go there and he's taking them where they weren't supposed to go. He, he is trying to shock them into awakening them, right? It's that defibrillator and it's like the heart's just not beating and we're not gonna talk you into it. We gotta shock you into it. We gotta open your eyes to see there's so much more happening here And they couldn't. And John spends more time in the upper room than the synoptic gospels, yet he never has the Lord's table. I think that's fascinating, right? The other gospels have a paragraph on this is the bread broken, my body, this is the blood poured out for you. John doesn't have that, but he spends five chapters in the upper room trying to convey something to us. He gives us instead the true food and the true drink. He's trying to help us understand really what is going on even in that one paragraph that is placed in the other Gospels. And he's all about the true experience of God. Jesus is the true light in John 1, 9. True worshipers in chapter 4, verse 23. The true bread here in chapter 6, verse 32. True food and drink in verse 55. The true vine in chapter 15. The true God in John 17. Knowing him is eternal life. 
problem is we have a different definition of true than what Jesus was trying to bring about. We confuse true with facts. But something can be true without being fact. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He was talking to Peter. Right? The fact is, Simon P- it was Simon Peter, not Satan, but it was true what he was saying. The story of the prodigal son was not a factual story, but it has deep and profound truth. There is a dialogue that took place between C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, where they had a conversation about myth and fairy tales. And C.S. Lewis said that myths were lies that had silver linings. That's how he described it. But then Tolkien saw myth as a story that told the truth. And this idea blew Lewis's mind. And it really turned him around. Later in his life, if you told C.S. Lewis that something didn't really happen, he would respond, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Lewis would later credit this time and this talk with Tolkien as a moment where his faith returned to him. Because Lewis, after this, wrote to a friend that the greatest myth that has ever been told was the resurrection of Jesus. And the wonderful thing is, it really happened. So fact and myth were combined And to him, that was the most wonderful thing. We think true is what's real to our senses, what we can rationally comprehend. And what Jesus means by true belongs to a different order of reality. There is more than meets the eye. And the difference in what he means and what we mean sometimes makes it impossible for us to understand him. We we are stuck in a way of thinking. And this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it, they say in verse 60. This is just hard for our rational, our logical minds, the mathematical mind, the mind that is quick to judge, put things in their place. Some of us even when I made that quote about Lewis, that the resurrection was a myth, missed the point until you heard, and it's true. There was immediately a like, what did he say? Because you were waiting for it to fit in something more than what you had, and it's actually bigger. You see, the idea of judging things is the problem that they had. They had to make it something that they could make it palatable. I need to be able to digest this. And Jesus is not that. He is not something that is going to fit in our box. He is not the bread that we can get when we want. He's asking us to do much more. 
I think this is something I have learned even as I've gotten older. That being quick to judge is often a sign that I'm unwilling to learn. I hear something and I immediately want to find out what's wrong with it instead of wanting to hear it out and see what there might be that leaks truth instead of just condemning it. And then when people are critical of me and being defensive becomes a sign that I'm really, it's an inability to grow if I'm so defensive. You know, you really should do this. Well, what do you mean? Are you saying this? Are you so unable to see the need for growth in your life that we become so defensive? Am I so willing to judge that I'm unwilling to hear what someone might say or how God might be speaking? These are indicators of what we're hearing. They're indicators that we're hearing Jesus maybe with the wrong mind. And for example... The following, the followers of Jesus, religious leaders disputed among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And they could quote Bible and verse. It's wrong. We start asking the how questions. How can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb? How can you draw something from the well? You don't have anything to draw with. We start asking the how questions. We start wanting to put it together. We ask the rational questions about the literal meaning of this kind of teaching. And Jesus explains the source of all this misunderstanding. And he says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. I had to pause when I read that. It is the flesh that is no help at all. What do you mean no help at all? Isn't the flesh a little bit of help sometimes? He's trying to make a point. The words that I speak to you are spirit and are life. Sometimes our spirits, our souls, understand truth before our minds do. Sometimes things ring true to us before we can fit it into the way we think and the way we understand. That's right, John 6. This is the Rosetta Stone of interpreting Jesus' teaching. The flesh is our programmed thinking, our quickness to judge, our prejudice, our logic, our materialistic mindset. The flesh is our dependence on figuring things out for ourselves. How can we understand Jesus? And this is the frustrating thing because Jesus is always a little bit more than I can understand. He's always just a little bit more. I, I think I understand God and then Jesus shows me, no, he's more. I think I understand love and then he shows me, no, there's more. I think I understand grace and then he shows me that there's more. The flesh is our dependence on figuring things out for ourselves. The meaning is given by the spirit and the spirit is all about life. The images Jesus uses sound concrete. The rational mind wants to take them literally. How can a man be born when he's old? How can he get the water? Or else at least accurately interpret the metaphorical meaning. 
Okay, he's talking in stories now. I get it. Metaphor. Leaven, he means bread. Eh. Oh, wait, he means something more. The truth cannot come through the gates of our rational mind. I know that's a hard thing to grasp, that the flesh is no help at all. What Jesus and the Spirit communicate to us must be experienced, absorbed into the inner person like food and like drink. You'll never understand God, but you can walk with him. You'll never understand Jesus, but you can experience him. And maybe in the walking with and the experience, you will begin to see begin to understand. When Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, it's meant to shock us, meant to unhinge our understanding. Again, especially the Hebrew mind. There are regions the rational mind cannot explore, and I'm convinced Jesus makes it difficult intentionally to frustrate our attempt to solve this puzzle and to work it all out. So we'd give up and just go with the spirit and say, I don't get it, but I can still trust. Because that has been my experience in life. I don't get you, God. I don't understand why this person is a quadriplegic. I don't understand why this person has cancer. I don't understand why these people are living in this condition. I don't understand why things are so in turmoil in so many ways. I don't. But I trust you. I don't understand why my kids have gone through the struggles that they have gone through. I don't understand the heartache that some people experience. But I can trust you. I've seen you work things for the good and I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. It really doesn't. And that comes to a point where I, I just can't figure this all out. And as I get older, the more I've tried and the more I've struggled with it, I, I can't figure you out, God, but I can trust you. I can still believe in you. I can still have hope in you. Those who walk away didn't go on and get what Jesus said. Those who said, enough, I'm out of here. Eat your flesh, drink your blood. That's too much for me. And they left. Those who walked away didn't get it. But those who went with him, even though they didn't understand him, eventually got to see. You know, they have a whole network on TV all about food. Right? The Food Network. And it's amazing. I watch that show and I'm just like, man, I can taste that butter. It just looks amazing, the things they do. And I, you know, I'll tell Corrine... We should do that. And it's the royal we. I mean, you, right? Because I can't do that. But, you know, we might think a lot about that food. And we might think, oh, man, that looks amazing. But it's different than actually eating it. That can look amazing. But it 
tastes amazing. And it's not the same. Looking amazing and tasting amazing are not the same. I'm convinced that many of us believe Jesus is amazing. But not all of us have tasted and experienced how amazing he is. And maybe we have to a certain degree. I just think there's more. I think it's deeper. I think he's richer than we've experienced and he will always be, no matter how much you've experienced. If you're satisfied, maybe you're just watching it. Because I don't know that I can be fully satisfied. I think there's too much. There's too much there for us to fully understand. And it needs to be pointed out that twice in the previous two chapters, Jesus said, but the hour is coming and now is. In chapter 4, 23 with the Samaritan woman and even in chapter 5, verse 25. This is what we tend to miss is the now and the here. Right? You know how something is and how good it is and it's supposed to be enjoyed here. Have you ever tasted something so good you had to close your eyes to fully enjoy it? It's like my vision was distracting me from the taste. Or you heard something so beautiful, you have to close your eyes to really enjoy it, to get the full meaning of it. They say that 80% of our sensory comes through our vision, and sometimes it's robbing those other senses. And that's why times people who are blind can actually have a heightened sense in other areas of the smell or in hearing or in taste because they're not distracted by what they're seeing. When we listen to the Spirit, it is not our eyes have to be closed, but maybe that buzzing in our minds needs to be silenced. And maybe sometimes we have to have a moment of being still so that God's voice can speak. Stop the anxiety, the anxious thoughts, the bitterness, the resentments, all those things that try and stop the voice of God, the complaining. I don't get that. What is that? The the judging. Maybe God's trying to speak, but we're too busy interrupting with all these things. We have to shut off the automatic thinking so we can catch a glimpse and have a taste of what awaits us. And you see, the Lord's table is the invitation for us to see and know God in a whole another way. It is to open a horizon to help us understand that, you know what? Jesus isn't just a person that we believe in. He is the God who we get to live in and experience. And this bread is just bread, but it's also his body broken for us. Are you saying literally it's his body? Oh, there we go. No, it's, it's just helping us to understand how he is present in our lives, how bread nourishes, how how that wine is to quench the thirst, that Jesus is there to supply the needs that our lives really have, just like 
food does for the body, Jesus does for the soul. And why do we spend so much time for the food that does not satisfy? This is an invitation to open our hearts up to the God who is more, to a life that is available to you and to me through the person of Christ. You know, so many times I've been at church and it's this idea of an altar call. Raise your hand, say, I need Jesus. I want you to look at this table as an invitation to receive Christ, but in a way that is more than maybe just understanding in a way that will be an experience of your life, that this is something that God wants to do. He wants to be a part of your life. He doesn't want to just be someone you believe in who will provide what you need. He wants to be the bread that you depend on for your very life. He wants to be the wine that will satisfy the deepest needs of your soul in ways that you don't even realize. God wants to be more to us. And Jesus's invitation is to make that happen. And we have the invitation from Jesus and we want to make that invitation a reality in our lives. Is there a need in your life for him to be more? If there is, He's inviting you to let it happen. Do you have questions? Do you have things that are haunting you, that are keeping you from stepping into? He wants you to trust him. And maybe as you follow him, then you'll begin to see. Then you'll begin to understand. So Randy's going to come up right now and we're going to have a time of worship. And what I would ask that we do as you come up and you take the bread and you put it in the grape juice, take it back to your seat and have a moment. And if it helps, close your eyes and hear Jesus's words speaking out to you that this is my body broken for you, that we need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And as awful and as difficult as that sound, let that sit as you're going to partake of what that means. And may the spirit breathe life into these words so that they have power to transform us. Lord, thank you for your words that are challenging, that are difficult, that are forcing us to get beyond our rational thinking or to allow your spirit to quicken our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would help us step into the life that you have for us, the here and the now. That here and now is the time when you're wanting to do a deeper work in our lives. That here and now is the time you are inviting us to allow you access to our hearts. To transform us in ways that need to take place. That here and now you are wanting us to not put a limit on who you are and what you can do. You're asking us to trust you. And maybe, Lord, we are like the disciples. We just can't believe you're walking on water and it's because we didn't see. 
what you did with the loaves and the fishes. That you did what was impossible. And Lord, you're wanting to do what is impossible in each of us. And we are asking that you would. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and get up and go to the tables. There's one on each side and dip the bread in to the grape juice and take it back and have a moment and let God speak to us through his words. I again want you to hear John's spiritual commentary on this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. John would have us hear those words in this light. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. May those words grab hold of our souls this week. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.